happy disco music this morning while the uh, ushers come to wait upon us. It's coming, I promise. Heard it earlier. Right? Yeah, uh, see, even some of the college students are... All right. The soundtrack of my youth. Come on, ushers, come and, come and wait upon us. This is actually the perfect music for an offering, right? <laughs> I told them to put the disco ball up this morning, but they did not listen. All right. All right, I keep thinking I should tell them to stop. All right, you probably better stop. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome again to Fifth Avenue. Good to see you all today. And uh, I want to thank my friend Derek this morning for uh, getting all of our minds on breakfast this morning. That's just so helpful for the person that's speaking to know that uh, everybody is hanging on every last uh, eggs benedict uh, this morning so i get it and uh, i will i will release you as uh, quickly as possible to your eggs benedict this morning talk about a change of plans but uh, it is uh, it is good for all of us to be here today uh, that song is also the perfect introduction for where i am going today talking about the flourishing life and uh, really kind of just following up uh, upon uh, the meal that Pastor Tim set for us last week uh, regarding life. And uh, by the way, who can like do that out of Ecclesiastes? He, he told me this last week. He goes, hey, continue on in Ecclesiastes if you want to. And uh, like I open it up to like Ecclesiastes 5 and you know, my mind does not think in the same way that uh, our dear pastors <laughs> does. And uh, that's a story in and of itself, but uh, I love the way his mind thinks. <laughs> I just go, okay, we're going to leave Ecclesiastes for next week when, uh, when he resumes it. And, uh, but we are going to talk about flourishing life today and a little bit of theology, all right? I uh, am taking a class right now that we just uh, got done reading a book on theology. And uh, for some of you, you just hear the word theology and uh, you're right back to Eggs Benedict, all right? I get it. Uh, but stick with me for just a second. This book was actually called For the Life of the World and was written by a couple of Yale uh, professors. And uh, again, you don't necessarily uh, probably jump to flourishing life when you hear Yale theology professors, all right? But it was actually a pretty amazing look at theology. And uh, their main conclusion is actually, in my mind, rather shocking and eminently practical. And uh, again, sometimes practical and theology doesn't always go in the same sentence in our thinking, but hopefully we can maybe change that this morning. Because a lot of people don't see theology like these guys do, all right? So, a little Theology 101 this morning, it's going to come up on the screen, and this is just kind of a mouthful this morning. Let's try a mouthful uh, this morning of theology. So here is what these smarties say. Theology ought to be about what matters the most, the true life in the presence of God. Theology is uniquely qualified to explore what matters the most. We believe the purpose of theology is to discern or to figure out, to articulate or to say it clearly, and to commend or to declare it 
visions of flourishing life in light of God's self-revelation in Jesus Christ. By flourishing life, we mean the good towards which humans are meant to strive. Truly flourishing life is the most important concern of our lives, the pearl for which it's worth selling everything else we might have, wealth, power, fame, or pleasure. Again, this is not exactly the statement that you would expect regarding theology. Uh, It almost sounds like more something you would read about in a self-help book, you know, six steps to a healthy, happy, flourishing life. But their contention is that theology speaks to the things that matter the most. At least it should. And unfortunately, sometimes we take those things that matter the most and, uh, you know, turn it into this. In fact, I remember sitting in a youth ministry class and uh, one of the speakers, who was just a hilarious guy, said to the class, and I'll never forget it, my freshman, you know, bonehead years, I'm sitting there listening to him and he said this he said it is a sin to make scripture boring (laughs) you know unfortunately I've been doing that for years and uh but anyway it I've never forgotten that and a theology is something you know it's the study of God and his relation to us but unfortunately when we think in terms of theology we think in terms of these big fancy words like you know, reconciliation or soteriology or salvific, all right? Uh, And those words sound so much more impressive when I channel my Lord Grantham uh, snobby Downton Abbey voice and, uh, you know, reconciliation and salvific. I mean, it just sounds so doggone impressive, but isn't always the most practical way of going about it. So let's dig into some of the practice Uh, this morning and unpack that a little bit because here's the bottom line. God does want us to flourish in our life. He doesn't want us to flounder in our lives. But it's such a gift that we've got a pastor that reminds us that, you know, when we hear something like this, we all go, yes, amen, you know, in a pep rally way. But then we go back to our lives and say, why is it that my life seems to be floundering a little bit more than flourishing today, if your life is anything like mine today. Or as, again, Tim often says, you know, it's a suck fest. You know, oftentimes our lives are just a suck fest, right? Um, But how can we live a truly flourishing life? Because sometimes things just go bad. Let's just be honest. And perhaps maybe you're even there right now. But what Tim said last week is this. Once you accept that things won't always work out, then you are truly free. And that is just such a great gift as we're trying to work out our faith with fear and trembling, as we're knocking on the brassy heavens, wondering what in the heavens is going on with our lives. Let's just remember that things are just not always going to work out the way we think they should. And it doesn't mean that we're not in God's will, even though sometimes it might very much feel that way. Or as, again, Tim said last week, it's that bipolar. I just love this picture. Ecclesiastes is this bipolar look at life somewhere between Taylor Swift and death metal. I mean, I just absolutely love that picture. And if that helps you in your life like it does mine, there you go once again. But there really is hope. And there really is joy. And there really is life 
even flourishing life. So let's look at that. Again, the bottom line is this. It's coming up on the screen. If I was just going to put my whole message in a sentence, it is God is really concerned about and has made every provision for a genuinely flourishing life. A genuinely flourishing life. Now let's look at some pictures on the screen this morning of a flourishing life. And we'll start, we'll start out by uh, me showing some pictures of my grandkids today because I just got another one. All right, so there's the first one. Uh, uh, it is Lou, my oldest son's dog. He is a LeBron James fan. And so, of course, he had to name his dog Lou Braun. Get it? And uh, she was just staying with Grandma and Grandpa over the past six months, helping to get potty trained and, and all of that. So we called it summer camp at Grandma and Grandpa's. And uh, Grandma now, Stacy, is in Phoenix with both of our boys this morning. And uh, really happy, actually, to have missed this morning. But uh, anyway, she is there, and we'll be back next week, God willing. But she uh, re- t- took Lubron. There is Hobbs, which, of course, belongs to my son, Calvin. And uh, so uh, when they were loading up uh, their boxes and all that, there is Hobbs, Phoenix-bound, uh, their Australian shepherd. And here is my newest grandbaby. Yeah, that, that is not a stock picture. That is an actual picture of Bentley uh, in Arizona. Uh, my son just bought that for his girlfriend. Uh, he says that she's uh, going to be his wife someday. And so we're counting that as our third grandchild. But there is Bentley, a little golden retriever puppy. And uh, pictures of flourishing life, right? We can stop right there. But uh, of course, we're not going to. Uh, let's get another picture of flourishing life. Yeah, who's got the microphone this morning? You know, this, this picture excited me a lot more until last night. So let's just move quickly along to, speaking of last night, right, Beavers, come on. A win at the Rose Bowl, where I don't think Washington has won for the last couple decades. And there you, there you go, the dog throwing the ducks a bone this morning, all right. Uh, quickly continue on, right? Right? My definition of civilization is uh, Costco. If my boys were here this morning, they would have their heads in their hands. Like, Dad, seriously, it's H&M now, right? And uh, yeah, I go go to H&M and I get lost really fast. All right, of course, uh, you know, the swoosh... uh, You're, take, you're taking this a little bit yeah, too uh, much in stride. Look, now look at that picture. Hold, hold that just a second there. I mean, if there was ever a picture of a flourishing life, as you're going up to the Woodburn outlets, this is actual Starbucks right next to Nike. And uh, I just was looking around for the pearly gates when I saw that and it was taking the picture. Uh, the genuinely flourishing life. Now here's another picture. Uh, from the book that I finished, uh, and I refer to it as the flourishing triangle. And that is looking at our lives as a life led well, life going well, and life feeling as it should. The flourishing triangle. So let's, let's break this triangle down a little bit, and as we do, let's superimpose this next verse onto the top of this uh, this graphic, and that is 
Paul's definition of the kingdom is this. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean for life to be led well? It is righteous. What does it mean for life to go well? It is peaceful. And what does it mean for life to feel like it should? It's full of joy. So a couple of further points on each one of these points of the triangle, if you will. Righteousness, a life led well. Now, given the centrality of love as that which sums up the law for Paul, not to mention Jesus himself, we could just as easily and perhaps with even greater precision say and define the kingdom as love and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is a righteousness of love that God is calling us to, which is a true righteousness. And it is a true call to the purpose that God has called each of us, not just in this room, but everybody that is able to fog a mirror on planet earth. The purpose of all of us is love. Jesus said it this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now, the world, unfortunately, has been witness and victim to way too much righteous zeal in the name of everything, including God. But Jesus is calling upon us to be a people whose ultimate zeal is for love. And for a great description of this righteous love, see 1 Corinthians 13, right? You know, the subject of many a poster and so on. You know, try superimposing your name and replacing love with your name in 1 Corinthians 13 and see how that description goes. We can spend the rest of our life and should trying to live up to that description of love that Paul has given to us. So a life led well is a life of righteous love. The next point is peace, which is, again, life going well. Life going well. Peace has been described as a world that has been set right. A world that has been set right. It's been set right by God himself. And it has been set right when we come into proper connection and relationship with him and his will. It is a world set right. The true life is not always a life of peace as we know though. But it's always a life that is lived for the sake of peace. Peace is not only elusive for countries and world leaders, but it's elusive oftentimes for families and especially for us as individuals. But Jesus said that he came to bring peace to you and me, to set our world right in the midst of the chaos of the world that we inhabited, that we inhabit. And then he calls us to be people of peace. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And there's that big fancy theological word again. Reconciliation, which in really simple terms is just to bring two sides together. To get two sides holding hands. 
Now, some of you maybe have heard uh, the name Doug Coe before. I had the opportunity at several uh, occasions to meet Doug Coe, and I would describe him as a peacemaker. And for those of you that maybe have seen the uh, Netflix uh, about Doug Coe and the family, I would simply say, not everything that is in video form is necessarily reality, all right? But this is a man that lived as a peacemaker behind the scenes in Washington, D.C., and around the world. And one of the countries I had the opportunity to visit about three years ago, uh, three and a half years ago now, is the country of Kosovo. And if there has ever been an area that can be described as war-torn, it would be the now country of Kosovo. Unfortunately, the area of Kosovo is this big flat plain between a couple of other you know, areas and, and uh, strategic areas, and oftentimes that plain was used as a battlefield down through the millennia. And most recently, that battlefield was Albanian Muslims and Serbian Christians that were having it out uh, on that battlefield, again, in the name of God. And that war-torn country is now being rebuilt as now a sovereign country of Kosovo, not recognized still by half of the world. But here are people that were literally at war with one another. It was a civil war. In fact, I met a medical doctor that had 40, 40 family members that were killed in that war that took place during the Clinton administration. Finally, uh, you know, we stepped in and said, enough. And now these people have put down their arms and are trying to build a country together. And everybody says together, Good luck with that, right? Good luck with that. But the reality is this. When you bring Jesus into the equation, miracles can and do happen. And Doug Coe had the opportunity to bring two of the leaders of that nation. Amit was one of them, and he is, by uh, background, an Albanian Muslim. And Slobodan, who is a Serbian Christian. Both of those gentlemen are very high up leaders. Slobodan has been the uh, Speaker of the House, could be Prime Minister someday, and Amit was, was a uh, Cabinet Minister. And here are these two people, representative of these two groups of people that have been hatefully at war with each other for generations. And literally in a meeting in Washington, D.C., Doug Coe took both of their hands and joined them together. And that was the beginning of this incredible friendship that has played out not just behind the scenes, but has played out for an entire nation. As these two men are often arm in arm and even hand in hand, brothers together helping to rebuild this country. It is one of the most beautiful pictures of reconciliation that the world has really ever seen. And that reconciliation is possible especially when we bring Jesus into the equation because Jesus is peace and Jesus is the one that truly helps our life to go well. Jesus said this, Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. And joy, life feeling as it should. True joy requires an intentional object over which one might rightly rejoice. Right? So many of us have those certain objects, you know, in our house or in our yard or in our garage or uh, in our barn. And, uh, but true joy requires an intentional object. Unceasing joy 
is tied to the awareness of and the appropriate response to the presence of God. Our ultimate possession as followers of Jesus is the presence of God. Jesus said we would not be left alone. Tim said last week that joy is a deep sense of well-being. A core level where you know that you matter and resistance against hopelessness and despair. And he had some other descriptions. And again, uh, if you go on fifthavenue.com, I've I've mentioned it several times because it's just an extraordinary encouragement for us, especially regarding joy. Jesus said this, the thief comes only to kill and to steal and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Or another word for flourishing. Now there's many pictures of flourishing that are within scripture. And for further study, I would point you to 1 Kings 17. Where uh, the prophet Elijah comes upon this widow lady who is gathering up sticks. And he's asking her what she's doing. And she said, I'm I'm gathering up these sticks so that I can go home and build a fire and take the final amount of food to give to my son so that then we can die. Because there's this incredible famine that's going on. They've been, you know, eons without rain. And she is finally running out of food. And he looks at her and says, this will not do. And returns home to her home to stay with her for a season. And scripture says that the meal in her jar, and the oil did not let up. Never was extinguished until the rains started. Pretty good picture of a flourishing life. Another picture from Scripture's John 2, the the wedding at Cana, the first of Jesus' miracles was done at a wedding and water being turned to wine, and not just wine, but the best wine that was served last. And if you feel like at times where maybe the best Days are behind you, not in front of you. I would point you to the wedding at Cana. In Psalm 1, where it talks about fruit trees that are lined up along streams of living water. That is the kind of flourishing life that God has in mind for us as we follow him. Now, here's a fantastic quote that came from one of my uh, classmates, who is a uh, pastor up in Belfair, Washington. You ever heard of Belfair, Washington? She came from Waco, Texas, like the heart of the Bible belt, you know, where there's like not only a church on every corner, but like a big church on every corner. And then she gets stationed in this little town to the west across the sound from Seattle, a very depressed uh, little area called Belfair. And she is fantastic. And here is her quote, and I put it on the screen so you can follow it along. Love this picture of flourishing life. She says this, when Jesus promises us an abundant, flourishing life in John 10, he does so in the context of the Good Shepherd commentary. My vision springs from this, sheep at home with their shepherd and flock, at rest in the core of their beings, knowing they are in the hands of a good shepherd and alongside other sheep. They know their needs are being attended to and that their hearts are known to the one who can hold them. The thieves and wolves may still come, but there's a peace that remains even still, because the good shepherd is with them, 
In light of that reality, the sheep are free to live, to run and explore and play and rest. The flourishing life is being at home with our Father and in community with God's people. Under that banner, we're free to run and explore and play and rest. And I would just say amen to that description of life. The kingdom of God and the descriptive of home are almost interchangeable terms according to these uh, theologians. But let me, let me direct us to Psalm 23, which is a psalm that is oftentimes read at funerals, which again, appropriately so, but why do we save it just for funerals? Because like eternal life, the flourishing life that Jesus has for us begins right now. And Psalm 23 is not a reality on the other side of death. Psalm 23 is a reality for us now. So perhaps you might even want to close your eyes and just drink in this description this morning of a flourishing life. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And speaking of the house of the Lord, the uh, authors have this great quote. It says, The entire world and every person as the home of God. In a nutshell, this is the vision of the flourishing life. Where we open up our lives, our homes, to the abiding and dwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Because God truly is concerned about you and me. He truly is concerned for us to live the flourishing life. And he's made every provision for that. He's given us the gift of love. And called us to live a life characterized by the righteousness of love. And peace. A world set right. And joy. A deep sense of well-being. A resistance against hopelessness and despair. Love, joy, and peace are actually the uh, first three qualities that are listed in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit is described for us. This is the kingdom. This is home. This is the flourishing, abundant life that is like a pearl of great price that is worth selling out and selling everything. Four. Self-help this morning? No. There aren't six steps to a flourishing life. A flourishing life begins with the decision that we make. Like Joshua was talking to the nation of Israel when they were ready to cross over into the promised land, he said to them, your choices matter. And today I set before you death and life. I can't make the choice for you, but people choose life. For, as for me and my house, we're going to choose life. So it begins with the choice, but ultimately the flourishing life that God has in mind for us 
is a gift from God himself. It is not something we are capable of achieving on our own. It takes the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what Jesus said. It's not just us trying to be more loving like 1 Corinthians 13. It's not just us trying to, our best to be peacemakers. It's not just us trying to conjure up joy in the midst of the chaos. Not necessarily bad things, but it's temporary at best. But when the Holy Spirit is added into the equation. Jesus said that it is to our advantage that he goes away. And I'm sure, you know, the first followers didn't have a clue oftentimes what he was saying anyway. But are you like me when you read that verse and you go, why would it be to our advantage to not have like Jesus standing right here in the flesh with us, you know, guiding us and casting out demons and doing miracles? Wouldn't it just be better if he was like still here with us in the flesh? We would think that, right? But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, unless I go... I won't be able to send the Holy Spirit. And he sends the Holy Spirit to us as that ultimate resource for us to live the flourishing life. It is possible because of, the, because of the coming of Jesus and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And we sang about it this morning. That invitation that we sang this morning should be the anthem of our life. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Here, not just here in the sanctuary, but here and here. Come flood this place and change the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for to be overcome with your presence, Lord. Our ultimate possession is the presence of God given to us by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, We have prayed it already this morning and we pray it again now. Come, Holy Spirit. Another song says, Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in your strength and your power. Come in your own special way. We have proven it time and time again, Lord, that we cannot live the life that you have called us to, that flourishing life, without you and without your presence. So we once again welcome you today and every day. Thank you, Jesus. I want to put up uh, on the screen one more time this simple picture of flourishing life, of a life led well. If we have a life led well, it will be lived with righteous love. What does it mean for life to go well? It is a peaceful life. And what does it mean for life to feel like it should? It is a life that is full of joy. All this is made possible by God himself and by us choosing life. So this week I say to all of us, let's choose life. Have a great week, everybody.